Hello, and welcome to the Mic Plus One podcast, where I sit down with industry leaders to discuss the project to product movement. I'm Mick Kirsten, founder and CEO of Tastop and best-selling author of Project to Product to survive and thrive in the age of digital disruption and the flow framework. I'm delighted to have acclaimed digital analyst, Brian Salas, join me on today's episode. In addition to being a global innovation evangelist at Salesforce, Brian is also a world-renowned keynote speaker and an award-winning author of eight best-selling books. Brian has been called one of the greatest digital analysts of our time and has studied and influenced the effects of emerging technology on business and society. As a result of his work, Brian also helps leading brands, celebrities, and startups develop new digital transformation, culture 2.0, and innovation strategies that enable businesses to adapt to new connected markets from the inside out. We covered so much on this episode. Brian's always fascinating to listen to and always gets my creative juices and thoughts going. So let's get right to it. All right. Hello, everyone. I am thrilled to be here with Brian Salas. I think, Brian, you are at this stage my favorite futurist. I've met only a handful over the years, but I think what, you know, what I keep seeing you put out there in terms of how people should be thinking about their digital transformations, how they need to change their thinking in 2021, how they need to adapt to the novel economy has just been some amazing and incredibly timely work. So welcome. Wow! Hey, well, thank you. What a what a what a warm welcome. It's a it's a real privilege to be here, uh, Mick. I've enjoyed my work with you. I'm looking forward to more work together. I admire uh, your thinking and all that you've done. So it's an absolute privilege to be here with you. Thank you so much. And why don't we just dive right in? Something that you wrote recently really caught my eye, that this is 2021, and we, sh- we should be uh, talking about how people should be thinking and approaching things differently in 2021. You just put out this incredibly powerful message that this is the end of the two to three year digital transformation project. And that to me resonated so profoundly. So uh, before I jump to my own conclusions of how, how important that is for our listeners to understand, why don't you tell us a little bit about this and how you came to this conclusion? Well, the the article was part of a, well, the, the idea it was part of a uh, 2021 predictions piece that we ran for Salesforce, uh, featured, uh, I think, 21 executives that shared their ideas for the future. And this was, this, my, for the record, this was my favorite one of that, that whole piece. So. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Well, the idea was that COVID changed everything. Uh, it, it, it shouldn't have taken a global pandemic to accelerate how we think about digital transformation, but it did. And what we saw is, in some cases, 10 years of acceleration and growth in a matter of months. And I think what that should teach us, uh, if we can look at it optimistically, is that we we were our own worst enemies. We were our own roadblocks. And when we need to get something done, we can get something done. And the point was, is that uh, I think one of the things that we weren't thinking about before COVID, which was how can we think about our investments as investments and not as cost centers? And as a result, then what are the outcomes? What are the business uh, level benefits, the metrics that we can tie to these investments so that we can uh, expedite time to value uh, and however you want to measure value, one at the business level, but I also think in many cases we could see things at uh, the operational levels, we could see things at mar- market levels, customer levels, uh, which all has a way of coming back to us. So the essence, the drive of that prediction was to get people in the right frame of mind going into this year and beyond to start thinking about technology as a matter of not just transformation, but as business model modernization, innovation, as ways of accelerating or growing existing revenue streams and creating new revenue streams. Okay, excellent. Yeah, and I think like like we've seen in retail, right? The change is possible. 
as you said, that that's one of the areas where we saw years of change happen in a matter of months. So it is possible. And I think, like you're saying, a lot of the roadblocks are internal. And so I certainly know that in doing the research for project to product, the one of the main comments I made was that this cost center approach is one of the biggest roadblocks, right? And then these long project plans are one of the biggest roadblocks because transformation is complex. If, if we don't have a measurable feedback loop, we don't know if the things we're doing are, are the right things or the wrong things. So you're challenging everyone right now, and I think this 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 challenge is is critical. Is that from these from your transformation efforts, you should be seeing value within months, right? And just take us through how you think about that. Like we've got a lot of people listening who are either have these projects underway, but things have been ha- the road, those roadblocks have been there. Uh, they've been there for years. I mean, you know, maybe they're getting better at some more senior levels of the organizations. Sometimes we're seeing that that doesn't translate through the organization. How do you, you know, bas- give the organization a, a better path, a better purpose to to approaching these things in this massive shift? I think from cost center and and centricity on these long activities to customer and relationship centricity and and, and investment. Well, that that one's easy. <laughs> <laughs> In five minutes or less, no. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I like I'll, I'll be honest with you. I don't know that I have one answer to that. I think it's it's if anybody knows this, it's, it's you. There are there's ways to approach this meth- methodically, but also with technology. Uh, I think that first step is a mindset step, uh, meaning that you have to think about this work differently. It's almost like a personal. Um, it's almost like personal transformation. It's like this philosophical thing that you have to deal with yourself, which is, what's my role? What's my role in all of this? If you if you believe that your role is to just follow some roadmap that was created in a time that no longer exists, and that you have to prioritize those investments, watch those costs, prioritize it against other other tracks, then you're gone, right? Uh, if if it's one thing that we've learned post-COVID is that not only can you do these things and move at speed and scale, technology is there to be your friend, but that what your priorities were and the reason, the purpose of your business now have completely transformed. So what that means is that all companies will have to move faster. All companies are going to have to be agile. All companies are going to have to be customer-centric. And, and most importantly, all companies are going to have to rethink how they work to get there. The easier answer, I guess, is to realize that the role you play in this is one of innovation, which is creating new value, which is one of substantiating that value to communicate time to value, to communicate the language of the C-suite, which is to say, of of all the things we have going on, this is exactly what we're going to get out of this. And more importantly, what we're going to get if we don't do this, uh, which is the uh, the other ROI I like to talk about, which is the return on ignorance, uh, which is uh, what's the opportunity cost if we don't do these things. So that's a mindset shift. Software there accelerates anything you want to do. Okay, excellent. And that, that's, a, that's, that's a new unfolding of that acronym for me. That's, that, that one will stick. What's interesting about your approach, and I think obviously you've, you do talk about some of the key technologies that will shape 2021, right? From ML to RPA and, and what we're going to continue with bots and the rest, I think a lot, there's been so much focus in terms of how to do transformations that's just technology focused, right? I think one of the pitfalls that you mentioned that, that really resonated with me was so many think of these transformation roadmaps that people are stuck on, as you mentioned, you're just executing to someone's roadmap, and they have to do with moving a legacy system to the cloud, or moving, you know, move, connecting these disparate systems, and over-focused on the back office. I think 
what we all need to do and what you're saying is actually, you know, start with a customer, start with a relationship, start with, with, with what success and what the business model needs, what things look like. Uh, acknowledge the fact that some companies are actually succeeding with this, right? The ones that do, that do take a service and a customer-oriented mentality uh, have actually navigated and proven themselves through COVID that, that those changes are possible. So I'd like to dig into a couple things because one thing that you're saying is to do this, you need to move fast, you need to iterate, you need to measure. So how do you look at measuring things from the business perspective? Because I think you said the metrics need to be meaningful to the C-suite, which means they need to do things, they have to do with things like customer success and revenue and conversions and, and costs and the like. And then I think the big challenge that so many have that I'd like to dig into after is, you know, how do you actually turn that into meaningful measurements for your, for your product innovation, for value stream? But again, that need to be leading, leading indicators for how much value you're delivering to your customers. But if you could start with some guidance on how organizations should think about th that ROI at the business level as their business model is shifting? Well, I, I'm going to tell you this. I'll, I'll, I'll tee you up because I think the best way to end the answer to your question is with your advice uh, because you're, you're on the front lines and you're seeing where companies are accelerating uh, on these measurements, on these value streams and communicating that. I, I'll, I'll, I'll start with a higher level, which is I, I mean, I have to come up with all of these new acronyms like CPIs, like customer performance indicators, because I need to force people into these new mindsets, right? Mm -hmm. you know, when we talk about OKRs or when other companies talk about KPIs, you know, they all they all measure what the culture of the organization has deemed as value uh, or as valuable. But we're in a new time. Right? I talk about things as before COVID and then after disruption AD. And we're in this after disruption time. Uh, for those who don't know what the novel economy is, I'll quickly explain it because it has to do with the answer. Yeah. Uh, the novel economy was a three-phased a three approach to how do you respond to COVID. I think phase one was basically everybody, which was I've got to stay alive. I've got to ensure business continuity. I've got to figure out stabilization. We saw a lot of those investments in work, work working from home, a lot of digital commerce strategies. Uh, we're seeing now uh, in the shift between phase one to phase two, which is staying alive, investments in RPA, automation, some AI, and then phase three is the thrive phase. But the reason why I wanted to bring this up is because we're, we're smack dab in the middle of phase two, right? And phase two is, is, again, coming back to that mindset. You're on this trajectory. You're improving things. You realize you can do more. You're reassessing your stacks. You're reassessing your investments. It's now, what do you want on the other side of this? Right? You don't measure things in years anymore. Now we're measuring things in weeks and months. What, what's that greater future motivating state for the organization? Where are we trying to go? Right? And then how are we going to incrementally get there? And also, one other outcome to add to this metric equation is who's ultimately going to measure that value besides shareholders and our CFO? Customers, I think, are a big part of this, right? Because now they have more choice than ever before. So now we're in this phase two era and most businesses are doing this because they're learning as they go, which is cool, right? But you have a choice. Break trajectory. Find new ways to accelerate because now this is the new benchmark. Right. So where you come out of this in phase three is going to determine where you are in the market. And I think the metrics we have to introduce here, one are you know, the usual time to value, CLV, you, you name it. But more importantly, the, the iterative steps that we have to measure to make sure that we're on this, this trajectory that's going towards this, uh, this greater future motivating state. I don't think that we have had those meaningful conversations at the C-level to just look at this 
as a startup. I, I can only relate to this because I've been in Silicon Valley for 20 years, which is when you're a startup, it isn't just about taking your idea to market and growing it. It's about radical, extra, extraordinary growth where you have to you have to make not only a market, but you have to return on that thousands of percent for all of those investors along the way. Uh, so you start thinking in a way that's not going to, hey, how do I 1x, 10x, whatever it is. It's a thousand x. And the decisions you make to get there require new kinds of metrics, require new kinds of ideas, require new types of skill sets and team collaborations and operations to make those things go. So startups aren't just inventing products, they're inventing operational and business models as they go. So it's a long-winded answer of saying, Mick, I think we have to create new metrics that chart a new course. And those are going to be those that show key milestones, but also those that show us that we're on the right step towards those milestones. Okay, that's great. And I think, you know, I've, I've lived a sort of similar experience with these metrics, right? Where uh, my startup life started with the Steve Blank metrics, the lean canvases, right? But all of those fundamentally were about learning from the market as quickly as you can, validating hypotheses. And in the end, it was, it was all customer and market centric. And OKRs, uh, you know, personally, I'm actually, this is interesting. I've seen more implementation of OKRs in the enterprise in the last six months than in the last six years. And you know, I, I personally started using them about, about a decade ago at Tastop. I find them invaluable if they're used the right way, because I think you said something key is that they kind of reinforce the culture of the organization. You can't, if you're not customer centric, the OKRs won't be either, right? right? But at least they, you know, listening to to people like yourselves and who actually suggest the customer and relationship centric metrics, OKRs can be a useful vehicle for, I think, capturing those. But I think you're right. So you're saying that we just need that the metrics need to change now, and the metrics do need to be more like those metrics of startups who realized that they needed to to ten or a thousand x the value that they were delivering to customers, rather than these again. And this is what infuriates me: these roadmaps, where the metric the roadmap becomes the metric, right? These are the activities we're going to do right. to lift and shift our on-prem software to the cloud or integrate these systems. There's no value in that, right? There's there's no value metric. Now you're you're talking a lot about the customer metrics, but you've also been speaking quite a bit about how the importance of staff, because we know with work from anywhere changing things completely, and engagement around staff, purpose around staff. So do you see that as a key as a key thing to track and measure in as as part of transformations? Or tell us a bit more about that. I'm starting to think now about the complete remodeling of the organization or the enterprise in general, right? If you think about one of the things that makes startups so threatening and also such so promising is that they they have to survive. Uh, and so they do what it takes to survive. In many cases, they'll pivot. In many cases, they'll shed uh, talent and acquire new talent. Those shifts, you know, you, it's funny because a lot of experts will look at those shifts like, oh, well, they're failing or they're not doing something right. No, no, no. This is a real-time example of learning and adaptability that all businesses have to just let go of that that stigma of failure or change in order to realize that that's how you adapt. There's a there's you, you made me think of a Hemingway quote, which is never confuse motion with action. And action, I think if we could just sort of add to Hemingway's quote, you know, tie actions to outcomes and meaningful outcomes for all stakeholders, stakeholders internally and stakeholders externally. Uh, one of the reasons my work is inspired by customers is because since the 90s, I have been documenting as a digital anthropologist how customer behaviors were changing as a result of their relationship with digital. Uh, and, and that's important because it changes their mindset, it changes their standards for excellence, it changes their expectations, their preferences, even their values. And what I have seen since 
March 2020 is a radical acceleration in those shifts as a result of COVID, right? So now you have people who were forced to be digital first in, in more ways than they were before, right? Now for even the most essential items, they were digital first, but also their values changed because you had the somatic marker that is COVID-19. You had po- this crazy politics that's still playing out in the United States. You have this fear of, of getting sick. You, you see these incredible death tolls uh, all around the world. Uh, you see the stress and anxiety of, of the economy and, and worry about personal economics and livelihoods. So all of that means that people have accelerated personal transformation and their own individual digital transformation. That means that that trajectory we were talking about now has a greater sense of purpose if you want it. Uh, McKinsey published uh, in uh, in 2020 this, this startling stat uh, that said, and these numbers exist all around the world, so if you want to read the report, I'll just share the U.S. numbers, which was that 75% of customers had already experimented with a new brand, site, or service, uh, and 60% of those were likely to stick with that new decision post-COVID. So essentially what that stat says is that loyalty is up for grabs, that people are exercising their right to choice. And a lot of that has to do with what's on the other side of a search screen, wherever you search or whatever you're doing on that device. This means that acquisition is up for grabs as well. And retention has never been so important. So anything you want to make in terms of digital transformation, DevOps, however you want to function, has to be to serve this greater purpose quickly because companies are bleeding customers and new companies are attracting customers. And those who understand who they are, what they value, how they make decisions in real time are going to win. So this is why things like ML, RPA, automation, uh, AI, those types of technologies can help you accelerate in ways you couldn't do previously. But every technology investment needs a sense of purpose. And that purpose is why and what value uh, what what value are our customers seeking? What value can we deliver to them that they're seeking? What value can we deliver them that they didn't know they were seeking, but now they can't live without it now that they have it? Uh, all of those things reverse engineer into not only our investments, but how we're going to measure that way forward. Yeah, I, I could not agree more. And I've, I've seen more and more examples of this with close colleagues at large companies, you know, insurance companies, where the you know they went pre-COVID, they had call queues one or 200 deep. And over the summer, those went to 10 or 20,000 deep. And if we take you know, seriously what you're saying, which I, I, I think is fundamentally true, is that th- that customer attention is up for grabs. That customer is not staying on the phone for the next hour, hour and a half to, to figure out what happened with their trade or whatever they're calling about. Uh, it's, it's a trading company, insurance company, or, or something else of that sort. But so many of these organizations are actually struggling to implement. You, you can't actually get past that without some uh, some bots or agents or RPA or something of that sort. Right? The amount, the pace of innovation that you need to actually shorten those call queues uh, is is much faster than has ever been implemented at these organizations before. So I think that you know I, I think this this notion that all of this customer attention is up for grabs and either you capture it this year or you better to capture it you know quickly this year know that you're you're on the path to it or it will go elsewhere right customers mm. will not wait that long given as as you've said they've now been forced into uh, digital interaction modes. So hey, can can I add add something there? Please. I think you know it's it's something that I think as as 
our human condition we get caught up in, uh, our own biases trip us up. You know, one of the greatest failures in business evolution has been momentum and success. Success is a poor teacher uh, when it comes to innovation. Uh, and we've seen that historically with Kodak and, and the Netflix blockbuster failed acquisition attempt. And, you know, we saw that in, in, in strides with initial Walmart acquisitions, of which they're now on a much mm-hmm. better path, right? But where we trip ourselves up moving forward is, is not recognizing that momentum, especially now in these rapidly changing times, is earned. Uh, and now with McKinsey's data showing us that customer attention and intention is up for grabs. You can no longer ride on the fact that you have, in most cases, a reluctant relationship with mm-hmm. your customer. Right? I think I, I would I would struggle to come up with a handful of brands where I would say that contacting customer service has just been an incredibly delightful experience. And I think we would all have the same list of companies that would deliver that delightful right. experience, which means that. C- Customer service, for example, in any way that you can improve it, would be a competitive advantage. Yet here we are in 2021, still talking about something that is a 50-year-old problem. So again, it comes back to that mindset of what are you trying to do? And now the difference is moving forward is that it now has to be a cross-functional collaboration. So this takes agility and speed and time to value and the value stream overall into new directions that we actually haven't really considered before because uh, the customer, even though we've always said that customer experience is a competitive advantage, I'd like to introduce something new for this year, which is adding an apostrophe S to it, which is the customer's experience. Because when you look at it from their perspective, you will see where you are failing, where you are imposing reluctant relationships upon your customer and why they are experimenting so actively right now. It's because they can. And once they taste something good from marketing to sales to service, that's the standard, regardless of industry. And so that's what we have to reverse engineer. The customer wants things. Our own Salesforce research showed that I think it was almost 90% of customers, business customers and consumers, have said that they want businesses to accelerate their digital transformation. I mean, if the customer has to tell you that, that's a, that's a big problem. And then more so, a majority of customers, again, business and consumers, are saying they want more digital ways to interact with you. They want those digital experiences to be integrated across that journey. Uh, and they want new and innovative ways to do business with you. So essentially, this is a roadmap to say you can't operate in that siloed functional approach. You can't silo data anymore. That you have to work with this new operational model to accelerate the modernization and also this innovation in that customer's experience. Uh, And in doing so is what's going to help you win. Not fixing this, not fixing that, not iteratively or incrementally improving this and not thinking about this more holistically. So it's it's a point that I feel like I have to make because if you don't start thinking this way, you're going to fall way behind. And lastly, this is the same thing you brought up earlier, Mick, which is this is looked at as a cost center. Oh, this is too, this is going to be too expensive. It's going to be too hard. This could be too trying. Uh, we got to just get these little wins here, here, and here. You have to do both. 
you have you absolutely have to do both uh, because you're 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 like that old saying. How do you fix an airplane while it's flying? Well, you should have figured that out a long time ago because now you have no choice. Right, exactly. And so I, what you're saying is just so closely matches the success patterns I've seen for the last last half year, right? Which is organizations who define what their product value stream is. A product has a customer, right? However you deliver it, it's you know, as a service, as a, as a physical product, anything of that sort, it's got a well-defined customer and you've got a metric and every single person in the organization knows whether they're, they're helping deliver on that metric or not, right? Whether customer engagement is improving, whether time on site is improving, uh, whether re- repeat visitors or, or customer net promoter score improving. Then the other things that we've noticed, these other two, I've personally noticed, and as well as, as our, our flow team, these other two key things is that flow is understood and measured, right? So delivering flow time, you, you mentioned time to value, the way we measure through the flow framework, time to value is through flow time. How quickly can we get value to a customer? And we know that organizations that take three months to get value to a customer are not doing so well. And their their actual customer metrics have not been doing as well. Organizations that can get time to value their customer within a span of two weeks and sometimes within days, well, those organizations did amazingly well, right? Some of them were able to uh, stand up bookings cancellation sites for their for their you know, if they were travel agencies in days, where whereas others struggled for weeks or months, and their call queues blew up even further. And then finally, I think this is a this to me is really important because you the the employee, the staff, the people doing the actual work, the creative work to help those customers, the purpose that they have uh, just reminds me how happy I am that as part of the flow framework, I mean, happiness of the staff, a core metric of the value stream, right? We've been over COVID at TASTOP. We've, by adopting some of these practices that you're talking about, we've seen our net promoter scores go up, even while people, of course, are dealing with you know, very tricky things in their, uh, in their personal lives and the political sphere and the rest. So, but somehow connecting these three things, the, you know, these flow metrics, the customer metrics, and actually focusing in on, on, on making employee engagement rise with these three things, I've absolutely seen as a pattern for innovation for how to quickly see in a matter of you know, days and weeks whether transformation efforts are producing the right thing, or whether you you focused in the wrong place, right? Whether you know the staff that you let go actually, you know that that was the, that caused a bigger problem because you tried to automate. I'll give you an example. We noticed one of our customers they let go of a hundred manual testers in their efforts for automation, but they did that much too soon. So every single developer who was relying on those testers now had to you know stop delivering any value to customers and and switch to manual testing because it seemed like a good automation idea. But it was never properly measured. So, so I think to put in, if you could give us any any other thoughts on this, uh, Brian, how can we again, you know, connect the reality of what our staff are dealing with day to day with trying to deliver these great experiences and customer experiences and, and, and delivery amazing products with what the organization wants, which is to move faster on these transformations? Because one thing I've seen that's Dangerous is when you don't have this kind of flywheel of metrics and, and customer and employee-centric measure in place, people take shortcuts. And then the shortcuts result in, in some problematic things like, you know, say what we saw in the Wall Street Journal last week from the, the, the ID3, where lots of transformation, but the cars would stop on, on the Audubon because the right measures were not put in place. Boy. Uh... Sorry, another, another quick question for you too. <laughs> You know, one of the one of my motivations this year is to really hammer the C-suite uh, and the board, and to help pave the way for everybody: our Salesforce customers, Task Top customers, who aren't always 
making decisions at at this high level. They're mostly making decisions about the you know the fiefdom that they control to help them understand. On one side, you are a change agent for the future of business right now, uh, and how you operate here actually has to operate throughout the entire company, right? All of the things that you teach about flow and value, these are all instruments of business transformation at every level, in every application. And just because we're structured a certain way right now, no amount of uh, job elimination uh, or new skill uh, hires uh, are gonna change the construct of a business if it doesn't change at the top. Uh, mm-hmm. So, for example, if we if we look at the author of the Lean Startup, Eric, who uh, has also created the LTSE, which I really, really am. I, I, in fact, I have to reach out to him to talk to him more about this. The Long Term Stock Exchange, mm-hmm. which is helping helping shareholders, helping boards understand that if you're making decisions quarter to quarter, you're you're never going to break out of this rut. You'll only incur move enough to just survive. You're almost like treading water. But I think this is an opportunity to think differently, kind of coming back to what where this conversation started, is what's your what's your longer term outcome? What's your value at every level? And how do customers win with you along the way? How do you essentially fund this transformation through growth, starting with incremental and then cross cross-collaboration growth. And that's totally possible. It just requires a new mindset. And I think a lot of that is for those who are listening or watching right now, you are the champion of this. It's I, I often say if you're waiting for someone to tell you what to do, you're on the wrong side of innovation. This, this is a, an important time for transformation to come from the middle up in order to bring change from the top down. So it's it's no easy task, right? But I think demonstrating incremental wins, but communicating those wins outside of your own ecosystem to the other organizations within your company to say that this is the path forward. We have to do this together and our customer is going to win. And here's what that looks like. We need we need storytellers. We need uh, we need cheerleaders. And more importantly, we need to realize that our audience is, is uh those that are holding this back. And, and in many cases, that's the sweet seat right now. And look, no, no fault of their own, Mick. They've got, they've, they've had this short-termism, as I called it. They, they have this conditioned view of how they measure success and how their success is measured. Uh, and so that we have to push them now to realize that this is, we need new leadership. We can't function by yesterday's business standards. Uh, and to get, we know how to get there. We have the systems to get there. We just need that greater vision, that greater support. Yeah, Brian, I love how you're saying that that vision will often come from the middle of the organization. One one experience I had recently, actually, the the, the last episode that we recorded with Rene Testrata, he was the, the, the character in the project product, he, he told his story about how he helped change the way BMW Group does innovation mm-hmm. around software. And, and it was actually, you know, through that storytelling, he was able to, I think you said such a key thing, I've not heard this as much before, but funding the transformation through growth, if you can you know, learn how to do that because there's so much value to be untapped when you remove those roadblocks, right? When you focus on value, not on not on the roadmaps, and being able to tell that story. So, I also really like how you're saying this. This really has to do with personal transformation. I know for me, uh, you know, getting to the flow framework was through the, the the psychological and the personal concepts of flow and and what I learned about those. So, can you just 
tell any other, those are just, I, th I think, some great insp inspirational words for the change agents that really are going to make a difference in, in 2021. So storytelling, you know, funding the transformation through growth, being able to communicate to the business, as you said, with, with effective metrics and the, the right kind of metrics, the right kind of language, anything else that these change agents who are, I believe, the ones listening to this podcast, uh, anything else you think they should be doing as they think through the year ahead? You know, in a previous life, I wrote uh, a, a paper called the Change Agents Manifesto. And if you look uh, on SlideShare, I think it's under my account, which is just Brian Solis. It's there for a free download. And it, 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 it's a, essentially that. It's a manifesto to drive change from the middle. Uh, and it ex explains the challenges that you'll face, but also how you navigate the human condition, if you will. You know, politics, egos, all the things that get in the way, uh, mindsets, bias, et cetera. So that's that's the sort of your homework. But the other thing is to realize that if change isn't going to be because of you, then it's going to happen to you. And that means it's not always going to be the best desired change. We, uh, we need leaders more than ever uh, today. This isn't just some inspirational sort of rah-rah cheerleading for you. It's to say that as Mick, I'm sure you can attest that all changes happen because people believe that it needs to happen and they go fight for it. Uh, and if you're going to fight for it in the name of the customer and that customer is going to deliver those returns in ways that stave off disruption and also drive growth, then what, what greater purpose is there, right? Uh, and the last thing that I'll leave you with is, is this, is that your efforts are actually helping the organization not only survive, but your teams understand new ways of thinking and working and embracing new technologies that make them more valuable as individuals and also as teams. And that, that is something you don't lose. That goes with you wherever you go and whatever you do. Uh, so this is an investment in yourself as well. Yeah, that I could not agree more. And that, that, is, uh, that is, I think, just an amazing way to wrap it up, Brian. So th this investment in change and making sure you're managing the change, not, not it managing you exactly. The, the people who I see do it, they do it again and again within the organization, sometimes between organizations, sometimes they come back to that same organization. But of course, the entire business, the entire organization is always better for it. So uh, yeah, here's to those change agents. We'll link the change agent manifesto and some of your other key work and the materials at the end of the podcast. So Brian, thank you so much. No more two to three transformation projects. Remember, you need value in weeks, not months. Any any other last words? Uh, no, no, just uh, just keep listening to Mick. He's gonna he's gonna he's gonna guide you. <laughs> Excellent. Thanks so much. That was that was so amazing, Brian. And uh, look forward to our next chat. Huge thank you to Brian for joining me on this episode. For more, follow me and my journey on LinkedIn, Twitter, or using the hashtag it's Mick plus one or project to product. You can reach out to Brian on LinkedIn or on his Twitter at Brian Solis, as well as his website briansolis.com. I have a new episode every two weeks, so hit subscribe to join us again. You can also search for Project the Product to get the book. And remember, all author proceeds go to supporting women and minorities in technology. Thanks, stay safe, and until next time.